I think what we'll find is that if we're not careful, that the process of what we believe the church is, or the people that we should become, or the things that we are called to do as a church, I think if we're not careful, we can fall into this element of we just need to teach the truth and teach and teach and teach. And, and that's an important part of what we do as a church. It's an important part of my job and the opportunity that I get to share God's word. But when it comes to discipleship, when it comes to us growing in our faith, influencing other people for the kingdom so that more people will come to be a part of God's family because you and I are a part of it, uh, if we're not careful, we can have too much of a focus on just instruction. Uh, Matthew 28, 20 tells us about that. Like, we are to teach the Great Commission that we worked on memorizing together. It says, Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and, and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, baptizing in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. So there's this in very important element that we are to teach because we are to know what God's Word says. But we know that you and I live in this age where we have all this information at our fingertips, and information doesn't become wisdom. Information is just that. It's what you choose to do with that. So we, what we really need to know is it's important for us to know what the Bible says, but it's also important for us to do what the Bible says, to go out and to lead by example with that. Another aspect of discipleship that probably deserves equal attention might be best understood by a payment that Patrick Lencioni made recently talking about leadership. Um, Patrick, uh, he's well known in the leadership circles, wrote a bunch of good books, um, and he's a fellow believer in Jesus like you and I are. But in talking about leadership, Lencioni said, he said, good leaders are to be called CROs, not CEOs, CROs, chief reminding officers. So he said, Good leaders are going to be CROs, chief reminding officers, because you have to remind and say over and over and over again. And when it comes to, to leadership or when it comes to teaching, like you guys probably know this with your kids, you just tell them once, like, hey, brush your teeth before bed, and then it's over, right? That's all you have to do. Well, no, every day, multiple times, and then they go and do it, except for you really good parents, you say it once, your kids do everything that you say that they're to do. Um, but good leaders, as Lencioni says, are CROs, chief reminding officers. We're at the point where, as a, as a leader or someone that has influence, where you get sick and tired of talking about something, it's just starting to sink in. Um, unfortunately, my mom, she likes to say things that are very, very true and practical to life. And I've heard her say on a couple of occasions recently, she says, well, it's one thing, like, you raise your kids, you teach them to make their beds and brush their teeth and put on deodorant and take showers, and then they become teenagers and they forget how to do all of those things. You get to teach them all over again. Oh, thanks, Mom. Thank you for that word of encouragement. But as parents, we're, we have to remind our children to do what is best for them. When it comes to to our faith, when it comes to people that are going to look up to you for your faith in Jesus, for how you faithfully attend and, and you pray and that you genuinely want to do the things that Jesus told us to do, we're going to have to remind people over and over again. The Apostle Peter, I think, alluded to this when he wrote in Second Peter. He said, I believe that I should keep on reminding you of these things as long as I live. And right before that, in Second Peter, um, here are some of the things that what he's talking about. where he says, I'm gonna, I should have to keep on reminding you of these things as long as I live. Uh, that's in verse 12 in 2 Peter. If I back up there a little bit, some of my other scriptures will pop up behind me. I didn't put this one up there. 
but starting around verse 5, he says, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, with virtue, knowledge, with knowledge, self-control, with self-control, with steadfastness, with steadfastness, with godliness, godliness, with brotherly affection, brotherly affection, with love, for these qualities are yours and they are increasing. They keep you from becoming ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted and blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will likely be richly provided to you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So it's after all of these attributes that Peter mentions, and he goes on to say, I should keep talking about these as long as I have breath in my lungs, as long as you and I are living, I'm going to keep reminding you about these things. And I think that is true for us when it comes to our faith. That these really important tenets, these things that are foundations for what we're going to do, we together are going to remind each other how we carry out the one another's of Scripture, that we love for one another, we care for one another, we check for one another, we genuinely care for one another. Effective discipleship requires this balance of teaching and reminding of things that maybe we know to be true, but it can become easy once you become familiar with something to kind of forget. And what we need to do is, is to make sure that we stay brushed up on the foundation and the basic things so that we don't forget them. And when it comes to us turning our lives and investing in others, as we see Jesus did that and others did as well all throughout Scripture, our, our life is not about us, but it's about what God wants to do through you in your life. We talked in weeks past about how Ananias gave Saul his sight back, even though it could have cost him his life. He did it because God told him to. I mentioned how Barnabas spoke on behalf of, of Paul when the others believers didn't want to allow him in. They said, he's going to kill us. This is a trick. And Barnabas said, no, I've seen his faith. It is genuine. And all throughout scripture, over and over again, we have this, this scene that's played out where someone comes to faith in Jesus. And then it's not just about them, but it's about who invested and who poured into them and who they're going to turn around and who they're going to work on investing in themselves. What I want to do in our time together this morning is just paint a little picture for you about the work that Paul did with Timothy. What we have is you read through Acts, which documents Paul's missionary journeys, the places that he went, and you read through some of the books that he wrote in the New Testament, we see Timothy mentioned in an awful lot of places. In fact, the very first place in Scripture, if you want to follow along, comes in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 16, where we're introduced to Timothy for the first time. This is right after, in the course of Paul traveling around, Acts 15 is the Jerusalem Council, where they decide, do people have to become Jewish before they become Christians? And the answer to that is no, you don't. You don't have to be like the Jews before you can come to Jesus, because the message of the gospel is for everyone. So that is a big council in Jerusalem. And at the end of it, Paul and Barnabas separate, and they go their separate ways. And then chapter 16 comes up. Acts 16, starting in verse 1. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium, and Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. And he took him and he circumcised him because there were Jews in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way throughout the cities, they delivered for them, or to them, for observance, the decisions that have been reached by the apostles and the elders who were in Jerusalem. 
So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they, and they increased in numbers daily. The very first place that we know anything about Timothy in Scripture. Now we read about Timothy in a lot of other places, how he traveled all along with Saul and how, or with Paul, and how Timothy became a, a son in the faith to Paul, how he invested in Timothy as if he was his own son. But this is the first introduction that we have to Timothy, and it tells us that he was the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but there's a contrasting word that's listed there that lets us know that not only was his father a Greek, is that his father did not believe. So we have this background of Timothy where his mother was of faith and his father was not, yet he became very firm in his faith. And in fact, the people that were around, it says that there in the cities, he was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. The people that knew of Timothy spoke of him well. That, that leads me to think, I wonder about the people that know me. Do they speak well of me? I wonder. Do the people that know you, do the people that genuinely know you, do they speak well of you? Now, we all have people who aren't going to like us for one reason or another, but genuinely, like, how do people talk about us when we're not around? Do we become encouragers to other people? How do they speak of us? The Bible actually talks about uh, our, our reputation, and even when it comes to our elders and deacon selection, if you read those passages in 1 Timothy that talks about qualifications generally listed for elder and deacon, it, there's this, they need to have a good reputation with not just believers, but also with outsiders, so that their faith and that the church will not be uh, compromised because of how other people view them. No, you and I both know that we can't control what other people think of us, but what if people genuinely, how do they talk about us when we're not around? Do they talk about how encouraging we are? Do they talk about how patient and loving and kind? Do we talk about how we're the first to pray with them? Or do they talk about how we're always too busy? Or do they talk about how we're always sarcastic? <laughs> or what do they say? But what we have here with Timothy is that he was spoken well of. And that Paul saw in Timothy this enormous capacity to work for the kingdom of God. And that he was willing to take Timothy along with him and to invest in him. In fact, we know from 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, 1 and 2 Timothy, we, will, we sometimes refer to as the pastoral epistles where Paul, closer to the end of his life, is writing a letter to Timothy, his son in the faith, who is stationed in the city of Ephesus, a church and a people who, among any other place, that Paul probably spent the most time with the Christians in Ephesus, and he knew them the best. He knew their strengths, and he knew their weaknesses. So that's the context of First and Second Timothy that Paul writes to Timothy. So Second Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, we also learn this about Timothy. So we already know from Acts 16 that his mother was a believer and his father was not. But Timothy was well spoken of for his faith by the believers that were around Lystra and Iconium. But 2 Timothy 1, 5 says this. Paul's writing to Timothy. He says, I am reminded of your sincere faith, of faith that first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. Verse 6 goes on. It says, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift which, of God which is in you given through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. 
So as we're piecing it together more about what we know about Timothy and what God saw in Timothy and what God allowed Paul to see in Timothy, he was strong in his faith, even though only one of his parents believed. Maybe some of you can relate to that. He was also strong in his faith because not only did his mother believe, but his grandmother believed. He was a third-generation believer in Jesus. And the influence that his mother and grandmother had on him, I don't think that you can speak enough to that. And I know that holds true for some of you. The influence that you have had on maybe your kids or grandkids or other people that might look up to you in that figure as someone that they respect in their faith. So this is something more that we learn about Timothy, that his faith was instilled in him by his mother and his grandmother. And if we go back to right before 2 Timothy is 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter verse 2, we have Paul in his greeting as he writes this letter. Verse 2, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father, in Jesus Christ, our Lord. In my Bible here, it's just one line, that first part, it says, to Timothy, my true child in the faith. It can be so easy for us to overlook this very simple yet very powerful statement that Paul makes about Timothy at the end of Paul's life as he's writing to Timothy to encourage him for the work that he's doing, reminding him not just of what he believes but where he came from and how he had his faith instilled in him by those that he looked up to the most. And that Paul considered Timothy his child, someone that he would invest in, someone that he would care for, someone that he would have to remind to brush his spiritual teeth. I don't know exactly what that is, but like reminding him to do things, reminding him to, to live the way that Jesus has called for him to live. Timothy was well spoken of by the believers, as I already talked about that. And even if you go in even further, in at least six of the different letters that Paul writes, that Timothy is mentioned in those letters, in the greeting. His name is included in those introductory salutations in 2 Corinthians and Philippians and Colossians and 1 and 2 Thessalonians and also Philemon. Timothy's presence with Paul when he wrote these letters confirms that accuracy of the reference to him in Acts, that he had this solid faith and that other people believed in him well. What we learn as we try to build all of the things that the Bible tells us about Timothy, it says that he was in Corinth on that second missionary journey where Paul wrote First and Second Thessalonians, that he was in Ephesus on the third journey when Paul wrote Second Corinthians, and that Timothy was in Rome during Paul's first Roman imprisonment when he wrote Philippians and Colossians and Philemon. And that he's mentioned in the introductions to First and Second Timothy. If not for Timothy, we would not have these two books as they exist in our Bibles because Paul wrote this to his son who he was investing in, who he wanted to make sure that he would carry on the faith. And that more people would become believers because of Paul and because of Timothy. Or to borrow some language from Pastor Albert, who was with us a couple weeks ago, who borrowed that language from Scripture, it talks about how our children can go places. There are arrows in our quiver. They can go places that we could never go. They can accomplish things that we could never accomplish. And what Paul, I know he sees in Timothy, how he can accomplish things that Paul, as his life is drawing to an end, that Paul wouldn't able to be accomplished himself. 
even some more places. In the closing remarks in Romans chapter 16, the last chapter of the church in Rome, where we kind of read that really fast, because honestly, we don't know an awful lot about most of the names that are mentioned there. But there yet again, Timothy is mentioned as those who sends good wishes onto the believers in Rome. Twice in 1 Corinthians, Paul speaks words of praise for Timothy in his message to the Corinthian Christians. In 2 Corinthians, Timothy is among those that Paul and Silas mentioned, those who are helping them tell others about Christ. And we even learn in Hebrews 13, the author of Hebrews tells him that at that point, Timothy had been released from prison. So not just Paul, not just Silas and John and Barnabas were put in prison, but Timothy was put in prison because of his faith because of what his grandmother and his mother instilled in him, because he believed in Jesus like you and I believe in Jesus, that it's about his kingdom and not our kingdom, that it's about his will and not our will, that it's about teaching and showing and encouraging people and letting them know about Jesus and their faith. And perhaps it's for these reasons we see that Paul puts Timothy in charge of the church in Ephesus. The further context around First and Second Timothy is Timothy ministering to the church in Ephesus, dealing with a church that Paul knew really well. He knew what they were good at, like I said before, and he knew what they were terrible at, and he had to address some problems that were going on. So that's the overall context that happens within, that's the lens that we have to read First and Second Timothy through. Paul writing to Timothy so that, hey, remember who you are and whose you are. And how strong I know that your faith is. I just imagine those words to Timothy that just reminded of our heritage. I know that runs very strong for us here. That we know how our parents or others in our family instilled our faith into us. And we want to make them proud of our faith by the way that we live. And I can't imagine this reminder that, that Timothy gets from Paul. Who he possibly loved more than anyone else in the world. of just being encouraged that I do want to finish the race. So I want to fight the good fight. I want to keep the faith. I want to live my life as Paul did, as Paul imitated Christ. That's what I want to do too. And that's why I really think that Paul Ephesian elders to work with the Christians there, that he can care for them and that he can carry this big responsibility and of the different churches, the different locations that we read about in Scripture, the church is one of the ones that we know really a good bit about. What happens in Acts 19 and 20 with Paul there traveling? What happens in Acts chapter 20 when Paul it literally is brought to tears when he has to leave the Ephesian and he does not think that he will ever see them again? Scripture tells us that their relationship was so close that they wept and they cried together as Paul was leaving because they were going to miss each other so much. Or what we learn about the church in the city of Ephesus from the book that is named after them, the book of Ephesians that Paul wrote to them. Or Revelation chapter 2, the very first church that is mentioned is to the Christians that believe in the city of Ephesus. This enormous responsibility that is put before Timothy that he is to hold on to. Now, God will give us things we are to be responsible for and to care for. And we have a responsibility as believers who want to know what the Bible says and live out what the Bible says to do the things that Jesus said. They might seem kind of simple, and at times, honestly, they might seem insignificant. 
but they're not. And that couldn't be any further from the truth that they are. But we believe that prayer is powerful. That we influence people and that we pray for people and that God hears our prayers and he responds and he answers our prayers. You might remember um, a story from a, a couple years ago before Super Bowl 49. Uh, Marshawn Lynch is best known for his days in Seattle where he was a running back. Good trademarked B. He was just a really good running back. He was not flow, but when we went out to Seattle, he just took off and he would just take the ball and run and score touchdowns. And he was a, a touchdown scoring machine. And in fact, the decision not to give him the football in the last play was the worst Super Bowl decision ever until our Falcons went to the Super Bowl. But it's been a couple years, so we can vaguely reference that and then move on. But in 2014, the NFL running backs with 17 touchdowns. He rushed for 1,300 yards. And what you may remember is that in the week leading up to Super Bowl, they've got all this media hype and all this stuff that happens beforehand, is that he refused to talk to the media, and they fined him $100,000. And they warned him again. They said, Marshawn, if you do not talk as you are contractually obligated to do, if you do not sit and answer questions from the media, you will be fined $500,000. So what he did on Tuesday of leading up to Super Bowl week, he went up to the podium at his allotted time. He got out his cell phone. He set a timer, and he sat down wearing his hat and wearing his sunglasses, and they asked him about 29 questions. And every answer that he gave was some version of, I'm just here so I don't get fined. You remember hearing about that? He said, I'm just here so I don't get fined. A reporter would ask him another question. He said, I'm here so I don't get fined. You may want to ask better questions because I'm just here so I don't get fined. 29 times over the course of five minutes, he answered every question with, I'm just here so I don't get fined. And when his alarm went off on his phone, he said, time's up, and he got up and he left. Kind of a crazy thing to do, but what he did is he fulfilled his obligation to sit. And he did his time in front of the media, and he answered the questions, and guess what? He didn't get fined. Now, the NFL wasn't too happy, but he met his contractual obligations to sit and answer questions in front of the media. His approach, maybe, we're honest and we think about it, it's far from appealing for sure, but it might not be too different than the attitude sometimes that we might take with our faith. Are we ever just showing up? Or we're ever just doing our time, or ever we just coming to worship, or we're ever just praying, or are we ever just reading our Bibles just so God won't find us? Just so we won't get a Christian demerit? I'm just here so I won't get fined. I just want to put in my time and I want to do what I'm con contractually obligated to do for my faith. Nothing more. And just kind of go through the motions. Do we ever read or pray our Bible? read our Bibles or minister to others just so God won't find us for non-compliance rather than seeing the beauty of how we are to minister and to care for one another. One more scripture. First Timothy chapter 4. I'm just going to read one verse. And Paul writes this to Timothy, and you can read the context around it later. First Timothy 4, 12 Paul says this to Timothy. He says, let no one despise you for your youth. Now that verse is quoted an awful lot, and we do want to encourage our young people with that. And say, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, some translations say. Don't let anyone despise you for your youth. You know, sometimes we just stop. But there's a comma here. That's not a period. That's not the whole verse. He says to Timothy, he says, don't look anyone look down on you for your youth. 
Do not let anyone despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love and faith, in purity. A reminder for maybe you are young, maybe you just feel young, and sometimes that's all that counts, right? Don't let anyone look down on you for your youth. But in spite of your youth is what Paul says to Timothy and what God says to you. Set the example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. See, God extends to us grace. Grace is not opposed to effort. Grace is opposed to earning. We cannot earn. God's love. We cannot earn our salvation. That only comes through Jesus. But God does want us to try. He does want us to work. In fact, a good theology of work is that God created us to work. And sometimes we just need reminders of these little tangible things that we can do in our faith. Explain it this way. While working at a hardware store, Lynette Kittle's husband created a saying to better encourage his employees for customer service. He regularly reminded his employees to go the extra aisle. He said, go the extra aisle, not the extra mile. We know how that goes, but go the extra aisle. Because you could say the same thing, and you would understand what it means. But he said, go the extra aisle. I mean, that's what the employees that work at Publix do if you go there for your groceries. You pay more for your groceries. We all know that. But the employees, they might fake it because we all do that at work sometimes. But he says, go the extra aisle. Go with them where they're looking for that thing. If you ask somebody in public for where something is, they will take you to where it is, and they at least pretend like they care. <laughs> and they go and they take, they don't say, oh, it's on aisle 13 down there on the left. You can't miss it. Well, if you tell me I can't miss it, I will, I promise. <laughs> you ever feel that way? So go the extra aisle. Extra effort is better when it's tangible, where there's something that we can do, that we can think about, what God wants for us to do. It might be as simple as when you feel prompted to pray with someone or pray for someone, don't just say you're going to pray for them. Pray with them right then. If God lays someone on your heart that you should reach out to them, guess what? Just do it. Call them. Go by and see them. If you feel convicted that you don't know God's word as well as you should, and we probably all feel that way, Spend more time in God's word. Pull up an audio Bible on your phone while you're driving. Don't touch it. Don't break the laws. Tommy's buddies will come after you. Spend more time in God's word. Spend more time praying. Have these tangible things. When it comes to your faith, maybe you ask your parents and say, how do you think I could grow in my faith? Maybe ask your, your brother or sister and say, what do you think that I can do to help me better live out these qualities of faith that we are to have? And the people that are around us the most know us really well. And they can speak a lot of truth into us when we allow them to, and we're willing to listen to what they have to say. So I would encourage you with that. Just look for those ways, those tangible things, how you can go the extra aisle for your faith. Let's pray. God, we are grateful for your investment in us, how you chose to use us, people, our broken vessels. Father, to be the church, to be the vehicle that goes around and that saves people. Father, I know that you, you use us and the church was always a part of your plan. God, I pray that we are encouraged. God, that we are convicted. And God, that we care for one another. Father, I pray that we have a deep desire to talk to you and to know your voice well. 
that we become comfortable talking and praying to you. God, it's the more that we do that, the better that we're going to be at hearing you when you speak to us in the various ways that you do that. God, we are grateful for you. God, thank you for our time together this morning. In Jesus' name I pray and ask all of these things. Amen.